Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Happy Monday. Most of us probably know what a catch is, but that catch probably doesn't comport with what the official NFL rules are, and it happened again. Absurd ending to the Steelers against the Patriots. The Steelers should have won this game. The Steelers should have home field throughout the playoffs in the AFC. The Steelers should be the favorite to go to Super Bowl. Instead, once more, the NFL's broken rule about what a catch is, what a catch is not, came back to bite the league right in the ass. And I think just about every single person out there listening right now even those of you who are Patriots fans watching in real time said, that is a catch, that should be a touchdown. Instead, it was another needlessly complicated rule being applied in a situation where we don't need a needlessly complicated rule. Watching that game live and watching the play, nobody even knew what exactly they were reviewing Initially, they review every touchdown catch. And then suddenly Tony Romo and Jim Nance realize, wait a minute, they're reviewing whether or not he completed the catch. Now, if you were playing in your backyard with your buddies and somebody made that play, you would call it a catch. If you were watching in high school, that's a catch. If you were watching in college, that's a catch. The NFL has needlessly complicated this rule and created a complete mess. It's one of many stories from yesterday that we're going to get to over the course of today's show. But first, let's listen to the audio live from the game. If for some reason you did not hear or see this live, maybe you were watching another game, maybe you weren't around to watch the afternoon contest 
maybe you were of the opinion that surely the Steelers against the Patriots was going to be the Sunday night football game so everybody would be able to watch it, but instead it was the 4.30, whatever the heck time it kicks off, Eastern time game on CBS. This is the moment in time when suddenly the, uh, the Jim Nance and Tony Romo start to question what exactly happened, but also first here is what initially sounded like the winning score for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ben in the shotgun. Gets the snap, wants to throw it. Throws touchdown. it for the touchdown to Tessie James. Would you believe that? The Steelers leapfrog back ahead with 28 seconds to go. Is it a touchdown or is it After not? After reviewing the play, the receiver in the end zone did not survive the ground. It's an incomplete pass. I told you. I It'll told be you. Pittsburgh's ball, second down and 10 at the 10-yard line. Oh, the game clock is correct and me. will start on the next snap. So, incomplete pass, and we're going to continue to break down this. Uh, we'll have some more audio for you next segment, breaking down the NFL, explaining why it was not a catch. It's a massive decision, obviously, because it swings the AFC. Uh, the Patriots are now going to win the AFC, barring uh, a total collapse down the stretch. The Patriots winning the AFC means that everything will have to run through Foxborough, which means, frankly, that even though the Patriots have not been extraordinary this year, they will probably be in the Super Bowl. I mean, that, that that's the simple kind of takeaway. It's very hard to beat the Patriots in Foxborough. And so, as a result, the likelihood is that the uh, this decision swung the outcome of that game. Now, there were other aspects of this game, obviously, other than the way it ended. Rob Gronkowski was basically uncoverable I think you can make the argument right now that maybe other than Randy Moss and maybe he's even better than Randy Moss that Gronkowski is the best weapon that Tom Brady has had throughout his Hall of Fame career that of all the receivers he has ever thrown to Gronkowski is the most uncoverable and the most dynamic weapon and frankly the difference between the Patriots offense and the game that Gronkowski was suspended for against the Miami Dolphins and against the Steelers was night and day. So, look, I mean, Gronkowski was a man-child on the field, but that was a catch. In my mind, the Steelers should have won this game. They had that game robbed from them. My simple question would be, why can't the NFL just have the same rule for catching the football that college has? College football, that's a catch, and there's no debate about it at all. Now, again, the guy would be down because you're down when your knee touches in college football. Why would that not be the discussion point? It drives me insane that the NFL has this rule, and frankly, it's not just about this play. Uh, There was the issue with Des Bryant's catch. There was the issue years ago with Calvin Johnson's catch in the end zone. If you can watch an NFL game live, and many of us can, and not know what is and what is not a catch, that's a serious flaw in the overall fabric of the game that should be remedied in a way that makes sense, and uh, we need to have that happen. Uh, several other things. Late last night, some of you may have missed it, the Cowboys moved to 8-6 and six as they survived against the Raiders, who fumbled out of the back of the end zone to end the game. Derek Carr didn't quite score on the touchdown scramble. That's another rule that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what the change should be, but at least that's a change that exists everywhere in football. But if you are trying to score a touchdown and you fumble out of the back of the end zone, personally, I think we need to change the rule 
if you want to make it somewhat punitive, i.e. don't reach for the goal line, maybe move the ball back to the five-yard line, but allow the team that's trying to score the touchdown to retain possession. I think that's a crazy rule that as you try to reach for the goal line, if the ball goes out the back of the end zone and goes out of bounds before you do it, uh, you lose possession and goes out of the end zone. I think it's insane that you end up, the other team gets the ball going back the other direction at the 20. I think that's a rule that should be changed as well. Uh, much to get to. Nick Foles, uh, here are all the different takeaways I jotted down as I was watching games. Uh, Nick Foles looked very good uh, in the win over the Giants. Aaron Rodgers looked average as the Packers are eliminated from playoff contention. All the discussion about Aaron Rodgers, as I said last week, likely to be gone once they lost to the Panthers, and they did that notwithstanding the fact they tried to come back and make a miraculous uh, recovery there. Um, We've got the Jags, who dominated against the Texans. Are we ignoring them to our detriment? They are going to finish third overall, probably, barring a late-season collapse and a loss to the 49ers and the Titans. The Jags probably going to win the AFC South and lock up the number three overall seed. Are they potentially an AFC contender? We'll discuss that. Jimmy Garoppolo looks insanely good. He lit up the Titans secondary. The Titans choked away a win thanks to awful play calling down the stretch, which managed to leave over a minute on the clock and give the 49ers an opportunity to to win that game. Did the 49ers absolutely steal Jimmy Garoppolo by only giving up a second-round pick? He, my friends, looks like the real deal. If you're a 49ers fan, you have to be really excited about the opportunities next year. All of those takeaways, as well as Jerry Richardson selling the Panthers over allegations of uh, sexual harassment and propriety, maybe a racial slur, some non-disclosure agreements he has signed over uh, that period of time. Much to discuss, so many different stories to get to. We will be uh, good to uh, good to roll. We're going to play the NFL's explanation for the, uh, the, the ruling and the decision in the Patriots-Steelers game there at the end as uh, it appeared the Steelers won the touchdown, uh, won the game with a touchdown, and then it was taken off the board. We'll discuss. We'll also take some of your calls. I'll bring in the crew, 877-996-6369. To me, the primary takeaway here is it was a catch. Everybody out there watching, even Patriots and Steelers fans who had a you know kind of dog in the fight who were aggressively watching this game, They didn't realize live on the television broadcast, Tony Romo and Jim Nance, what they were even watching. Obviously, the irony of Tony Romo, who might have been the biggest throw of his career, to Des Bryant, I believe that was a fourth down play, if I remember correctly, uh, before it was taken off the board as Des Bryant tried to reach for the touchdown after making that catch. We know what a catch is. It reminds me of I, the the, uh, the old uh, Supreme Court standard for obscenity. I know it when I see it. Well, I know a catch when I see it too. And the NFL needs to make its rule square with the vision of the average fan out there who watching that game live said, my friend, that is a catch. Instead, we have this takeaway, and it's a massive game. It's a massive game to have this happen in. And I just think the NFL has to change the rule and make it similar to college because I watch college football all the time. I don't ever remember any remotely similar conflict in the last 
15 years, really, in college football. The most controversial catch, non-catch in college football, I can remember, was almost the opposite of this, and it was the Jabbar Gaffney catch in the end zone in the Florida-Tennessee game probably 13 years ago or so, maybe even longer ago, where he held the ball for a fraction of a second in the end zone, and the referee called it a touchdown, even though the ball was knocked out of his hands. And I think they changed the rule in college football in the wake of that. I'm not 100% sure. But other than that, I can't even remember a controversial catch, non-catch ruling in college football. That's because, by and large, if you're watching a college football or a high school game, everybody knows what a catch is. And this would have been a catch in either high school or college football. We'll continue to break this down. We'll play the audio explanation of the NFL trying to explain this. All of that and more. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage. Thanks for spending your Monday with us as we break down an incredible weekend in the NFL here on Outkick the Coverage. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want, so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. One more detail I should have added in terms of the big takeaways, the Rams going on the road and crushing the Seahawks. That was a uh, spectacular beatdown. And for anybody out there who didn't believe me when I said that Pete Carroll had completely lost the team in Seattle, that was pretty self-evident. It kind of put into perspective how bad of a beating that was to be delivering. I mean, it was something we haven't seen happened to the Seahawks in a very long time, especially at home. Here were some of the details behind that. That Seahawks 42-7 loss to the Rams is their worst loss of the Pete Carroll era. The most points allowed, that's the tie, in a game in the Pete Carroll era. The last time that happened, Week 12, 2010, versus Kansas City. Worst home loss since Week 1, 1997 and the worst loss since Week 16, 2009 for uh, the Packers, sorry, for the Seahawks overall, to have probably their playoff dreams come screeching to a halt. Now, before we go any further, I thought probably it made sense also to break down the existing playoff picture because, man, we're going to have a lot of intriguing situations, at least in theory, coming down the stretch. Right now, if the season were ending today, in the AFC, you would have the Patriots as the one seed. That obviously uh, does not seem very fair if you believe, like I do, that the Steelers scored a touchdown there with about 25 seconds to play. The Steelers would be your two seed. Jacksonville Jaguars sliding in at your three. Kansas City, who appears to have stabilized things with their win over the Chargers in the four spot. Uh, The Titans still there in the five spot, although we'll talk a little bit about whether we believe anything about them. Buffalo in the sixth spot, but Buffalo plays against the Patriots this weekend on the road, so you figure there's probably very likely going to be a loss there for the Bills. And then the Ravens are in the seventh spot. I think if you look at the Ravens' remaining schedule, there's a good chance they're going to beat the Colts. In fact, they should beat the Colts pretty easily. They're nearly a two-touchdown favorite this weekend. And then they finish off at home against the Bengals. So I think it's very likely 
that Baltimore will ultimately end up sliding all the way up into the five spot. And then the question for the Titans will be, can they get one win down the stretch probably to get that six spot? The only other teams that are out there in the mix will be, again, they're the, the potentially the Chargers if they could finish nine and seven. I'm not sure what the tiebreak situation would be. Maybe is there one of those tiebreak scenario things where you guys can all go in there and tell me who wins the final tiebreak if the Titans, the uh, Baltimore Ravens, and the Buffalo Bills all end up tied at nine nine and seven who wins that three-way tie break to get that last spot because I think there's probably a pretty good shot that that's the way this season ends effectively everybody else eliminated uh, from playoff contention in the AFC in the NFC in the NFC we have got a wide open race coming down the stretch the Eagles again Nick Foles looked pretty good in terms of the plays that he made as quarterback the Eagles at 12-2, and two, their final two games of the season. They get the Raiders in Philadelphia this weekend. We'll see what happens there. I feel good about the Eagles getting the win over the Raiders since the Raiders season is effectively over now. And then the Cowboys are coming to, uh, to Philadelphia as well to finish the season. Uh, that could be a game that matters a great deal, or it could be a game that doesn't matter very much at all. The Vikings in uh, the second spot. The Rams in the third, New Orleans Saints in the four, the Carolina is in the five, Atlanta who plays tonight and should get the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now is your sixth playoff team. So three of the four teams from the NFC South are in the playoffs. And then you've got a bunch of different teams all with belief that maybe they can stay alive and make the playoffs. The Detroit Lions, Seattle Seahawks, and Dallas Cowboys who now get back Ezekiel Elliott. All of those things uh, on the uh, on the horizon here as we come into the final two weeks with the NFL playoff situation. All right, I want to play you the explanation from the NFL officiating uh, arm of the decision at the end of the Steelers-Patriots game. This is Al Reveron ruling explanation, giving you context on why the rule was applied as it was into the catch-non-catch controversy. Hello, everyone. This is Al Riveron, and just wanted to review a play that happened in a very exciting New England and Pittsburgh game today. As we can see here, Roethlisberger completes a pass to James, and James is going to the ground as he reaches the goal line. And that's the key here. He is going to the ground. By rule, to complete the process of the catch, he must survive the ground. And by that, we mean he must maintain control of the football. As we see here, he does put the ball over the goal line extended. Once he gets there, he loses control of the football, and then the ball hits the ground. We can see here the ball touches the ground. So, therefore, two things occur. He loses control of the football, and the ball touches the ground prior to him regaining control. Therefore, the ruling on the field of a touchdown was changed to an incomplete pass. All right, I think there are several things about this decision that strike your average listener right now and certainly your average viewer on Sunday is wrong about this. First of all, most of the time, the moment that you break the plane with the football, it's a touchdown, and what happens after you break the plane does not matter. When he breaks the plane on this catch, which I believe was a catch, when he breaks the plane, he has complete possession and control of the football, and therefore, on any other situation, 
that would be a touchdown. In other words, if he is a running back and he is diving in that direction to break the plane as it as a as a touchdown, if he then fumbled the ball and it went out the back of the end zone, it wouldn't matter because he would have had possession at the time that he breaks the plane for a touchdown. That's a rule that I think every one of you would understand. If this receiver had caught the ball a little bit further upfield and taken a couple of extra steps and then had this exact situation occur, it's a catch, it's a touchdown. If this were any other player, basically anywhere else on the field, that is a touchdown. To me, it is evidence of how well he controlled the ball and caught it that he is attempting to score a touchdown here. In other words, he has the utmost control of this catch. He's not juggling it. He's not uncertain. He's not trying to cradle it as he goes to the ground. He's so confident that he made the catch because he did that he is actually trying to extend the ball over the goal line there as a part of the overall catch process. Now, what's also funny is that's the NFL's official explanation of this catch. And, wildly, that actually begins with the catch being made. Play that audio one more time. This is the NFL's official explanation of the the ruling on the field. Listen to Al Revere on here as he explains this call. He says at the beginning of his uh, of his explanation, the catch is made. Listen to this again. Hello, everyone. This is Al Riveron, and just wanted to review a play that happened in a very exciting New England and Pittsburgh game today. As we can see here, Roethlisberger completes a pass to James, and James is going to the ground as he reaches the goal line. And that's the key here. He is going to the ground. By rule, to complete the process of the catch, he must survive the ground. And by that, we mean he must maintain control of the football. As we see here, he does put the ball over the goal line extended. Once he gets there, he loses control of the football, and then the ball hits the ground. We can see here the ball touches the ground. So, therefore, two things occur. He loses control of the football, and the ball touches the ground prior to him regaining control. Therefore, the ruling on the field of a touchdown was changed to an incomplete pass. You know, it's funny. I don't even think he lost control of the ball. I think he was thinking, okay, I broke the plane now. I can put the, like, I can land and I don't have to worry about, like, having my fingers underneath the ball, right? I mean, the way that he's stretching out, I think he breaks the plane, knows that he broke the plane. And then how often do you see guys when they know they break the plane? They just put the ball on the ground because they want it to be as self evident as possible. Hey, I broke the plane and I'm down. Boom. Look at this situation. Let's bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's trending in the world of sports, and then I'm going to play you a little bit more audio surrounding this incredibly controversial ending to the Patriots-Steelers game that may well have decided the overall AFC home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and as a result, also decided who will be the representative for the AFC in the Super Bowl. All right, Clay, let's check week 15 of the NFL. We focus on the AFC playoff picture. Sunday night, it was the Cowboys over the Raiders, 20-17. to Oakland now 6-8 and on the year, and they're not officially eliminated, but uh, they are, their playoff hopes are fading fast. Derek Carr fumbled out of the end zone 
diving to try and score a touchdown with 31 seconds left, and the Cowboys took over possession. In the late action, of course, the game you're talking about, Patriots over the Steelers in Pittsburgh 27-24. Ben Roethlisberger throws an interception on third and goal at the 7 with four seconds to play. Both teams are now 11-3, but New England, with the head-to-head tiebreaker, has the number one seed in the AFC. Pittsburgh's got the two seed, and the Patriots also clinched the AFC East title for a ninth straight season. Titans lose to the 49ers on a last-second field goal, 25-23. Tennessee is 8-6. They're the fifth seed in the AFC playoffs. In early action, Bills down the Dolphins, 24-16. Buffalo's 8-6, holding on to the final playoff spot in the AFC. Ravens right now are the first team on the outside of the AFC playoff picture, even though they're also 8-6. They beat the Browns, 27-10. Cleveland's 0-14. And the Jaguars took care of the Texans 45-7. Jacksonville's 10-4. They clinch a playoff spot with that win, and they're currently the three seed in the NFC playoffs. And, Clay, also it's time for our Geico play of the day. Third and goal to go from the sixth. Roethlisberger under center, drops back. He pumps, he pumps, he pumps, he throws to the middle. It's back and complete. Intercepted by Harmon. Deflection to Harmon. An interception in the end zone. The Patriots are going to win in Pittsburgh. The call from WBZ and the Patriots radio network of Deron Harmon's interception in the end zone off the deflection of Ben Roethlisberger's pass, and that preserved the New England win over Pittsburgh. That's our Geico play of the day. Good deal. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. You just heard the play-by-play from the Patriots radio network there. Let's listen to the play-by-play of what should have been the Jesse James game-winning TD. That was not. Here's that. Ben in the shotgun. Gets the snap, wants to throw it. Throws it for the touchdown to Jesse James! Would you believe that? The Steelers leapfrog back ahead with 28 seconds to go. Is it a touchdown or is it After not? After reviewing the play, the receiver in the end zone did not survive the ground. It's an incomplete pass. I told you. I It'll told be you. Pittsburgh's ball, second down and 10 at the 10-yard line. Oh, the game clock is correct and will start on the next snap. All right, Roethlisberger was asked, as you can well imagine, about the overturned TD and uh, the fake spike play there at the end where he threw an interception, and this is what he had to say after the game. Ben, are you glad to get that opportunity at the end? Did you just go for it, go for the win, instead of settling for the field goal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's it's a lot of fun. You know, you you get a chance to to kind of improbably win it, you know, with 50-some seconds and having to go a long way, and, um, man, it would have been fun for it to turn out a different way. I mean, actually, on the last play, are you glad that they said just go for it, go for the win? Yeah. Is yeah. the last play your call to go for it, the fake spike? I want a fake spike. It was, I, was, I was yelling clock it because um, I felt like that was the, the thing to do was clock it and get yourself one play. Um, and it came from the sideline, don't clock it, don't clock it. Well, at that time, I'm already got, got everyone thinks it's clock, so you don't have time to try and get everyone lined up. So it's, um, you know, I tried to, Eli saw that, you know, he kind of ran a quick slant in there. And uh, at that time, you just got to try and make a play. And probably didn't make a good enough throw. He also talked, Roethlisberger did, about the overturned, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Tomlin talked about uh, about that decision by Ben Roethlisberger and everything else surrounding this game. Here's what Mike Tomlin had to say. Do you have a problem with Ben going for it in that situation? No. No, man. We play and play to win. That's what we do. I don't have HD and all of that stuff, so, um, you know, it's really irrelevant how I feel about it, to be honest with you. It's not going to change the outcome of the game. I'm not going to cry over spilt milk and all of that crap and talk about replay. I ain't doing it. Uh, That is uh, Mike Tomlin. Of course, Bill Belichick also asked about the controversial way the game ended, and Belichick had this to say. Uh, when they came over and told us they were lined up for the extra point, and I said they were going to take a look at it. 
Were you surprised they overturned it? It looked like the ball moved. I don't know. That's, you know, to talk to the crew about that. So let me bring in my crew, um, and uh, I imagine there's going to be – look, the, 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 the letter of the rule explanation, they may well have gotten it correct. But you, if you listen to this show very often, you know that I am not a rules guy. When rules aren't necessary, I think they needlessly complicate the game. Here, again, if you apply the standard of rule that exists in high school or college – and if you apply the standard of rule that would exist in any backyard football game or any pickup two-hand touch game that exists anywhere, this is a catch. There is not a single person in your Thanksgiving uh, in your Thanksgiving backyard football game that would have called that this exact situation had happened in your backyard Thanksgiving game. You would have called this a touchdown. There's not a single person out there that would have said, no, 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 you didn't complete the control of the ball all the way through the catch. Everybody playing backyard football would have said this is a touchdown. Everybody in high school would have said this is a touchdown, notwithstanding the knee-down element of this story. Same thing in college. If all of those people would agree, if virtually every fan in America watching this game would have agreed this is a touchdown, then guess what? It should be a touchdown. So the NFL's rule should reflect what the general consensus is of what a touchdown is. You know, we don't need to be in a Bill Clinton situation here where you're saying that depends on what the meaning of the word is is. We don't need Ivy League lawyers out here deciding what is and what is not a touchdown. We know when we see it. You know, again, I used the same standard the Supreme Court did uh, in obscenity. I know it when I see it. I know a catch when I see it. And watching this game live, I saw that catch, I saw that touchdown, and I knew it was a catch and a touchdown. Does anybody disagree on the show that the NFL is needlessly complicating the catch-non-catch dynamic with this application of this rule? I would suggest nobody's going to disagree with it. By the letter of the law, I guess it was right, but the law needs to be fixed. I mean, we've seen three situations over the last handful of years that really stand out. We've seen the Des Bryant play, we've seen what happened yesterday, and we've seen the Calvin Johnson play against the Bears several years ago uh, when he was with the Lions. These plays are absurd because rules should not be so ridiculously, seemingly out of balance with everything else that's happening. 99.9 yards on the field. You don't see stuff like this generally. You get the anger, you get the ire when it happens in the end zone. The problem is we all have functioning eyes. And just like the index card nonsense, which was almost as bad last night in the Raiders-Cowboys, we all sat there and watched that, and we all said, okay, that's a catch. Now, if you watch the replay, I do think James loses the ball on the way down, but all running backs have to do is cross the plane, and then they can do whatever it is that they want as long as they've done that. All anybody has to do. I mean, quarterbacks running, uh, wide receivers reaching for the goal line. All of those plays would be touchdowns. If James had caught the ball – two yards further upfield and taking an extra step before he dove into the end zone, that would be a touchdown. I mean, in every other possible facet, if you control the ball when the ball touches the plane of the end zone, it's a touchdown. I mean, and, and again, I don't think there would be any dispute about that at all. And I would just come back to, I don't hear about this in college. I watch virtually every college football game. There is almost no dispute when you look at the rules of what a catch or a catch is not 
in college football. Now, college football's got its own issues with the targeting rule where you watch it and you're like, man, I don't know if this guy should be ejected. I don't know if that's the right rule, whatever else. But in terms of catching, there's never any controversy in college football now. And that's because their rule about what a catch is, and I don't know what the difference is because I don't look at the rule book, but you shouldn't need a rule book to make a, a decision on a catch or non-catch like this. I don't even understand why the NFL has the rule that they do in this process. L.A., are you guys with us? This is a catch, there's no doubt. One, one other, A couple other things real quickly. Uh, one being, if you go back and watch, not one Patriots defender says it's not a catch. Like, none of them are arguing that he did not get the touchdown. If you go back and watch everybody that's right around James when he gets into the end zone, they all think it's a touchdown. Bill Belichick doesn't actually appear like he does either, and it takes Nance and Romo like 15 replays before they even realize why there's a discussion happening. And it takes them 10 minutes to come up with the reveal that it's not a catch. It's like if it's that cut and dry, you're looking at it that long to try to find evidence to overturn it. I, to, the whole thing's ridiculous, and again, it, it's such an important play. You lose Antonio Brown, you, and you're still had, right there with a chance to beat the Patriots at the end of that game. The Pats now an 89% favorite to be the number one seed uh, in the AFC, thanks to uh, 538. Had they lost, they would have dropped to 9%. Had the Steelers won, 99% they would have been the one seed. Yeah, not only that, they'd be the one seed, they'd be going to the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to go into Pittsburgh and win. I don't think anybody's going to go into New England and win. I mean, that's the difference, I think, of who's going to be the AFC representative in the playoffs. I don't think there's any doubt. We'll come back. We'll discuss it more fully. We'll also take some of your calls, 877-996-6369. Then in hour two, we will start to move into all the other games uh, and unpack the playoff picture as well as discuss everything else. It was a wild day uh, in the NFL filled with uh, two, I think, the two worst rules. I think the two worst rules in the NFL are catch-non-catch, and if you fumble into the end zone, this is a rule in all of football at least, if you fumble into the end zone, it's a touchback coming up back the other way. I would fix both of those rules. I think they are wrong relative to the game itself. 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. Final segment, Hour 1. Up next, your calls, more discussion. Steelers get screwed at the end of the game against the Patriots. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. By the way, the Steelers-Patriots ending was way more um, relevant in terms of the overall race to see who's going to be in the Super Bowl. But the index card situation with the Dallas Cowboys and whether or not they got a first down, I don't even, at this point in time, hate the chains and the, like, you know, using your foot to measure because I don't know what method there could be that makes more sense. Like for a long time, I was a laser in the football guy and you need like a lasers to cover the field and you could then adjust to see where the farthest point that the ball got to was. It seems like the technology probably should be there to do that. But then you start to think, well, you don't know when the knee's actually down either because the ball would end up consistently like a couple of yards further than where it was when the knee went down, right? I mean, just think about virtually every run or catch, a guy bounces and, like, lands a couple of yards further, and you would have your own controversy there because somebody would be like, look at where the ball reached and look at where they marked it. Well, that's because they're trying to do the math and, like, figure out, you know, using complex geometry where the knee was actually down and where the ball was at that exact moment. 
Having said that, it was perfect that they brought out the index card to see whether or not they got the first down. I've actually seen them do this before to see whether or not they got it. I don't remember where it was, but it's obviously very rare that the index card comes out. I love the fact that the referee even has the index card to begin with. Uh, I guess to write down notes to himself sometimes on the review plays and everything else. But that was a pretty crazy situation also. As well as, Danny G, you're an NF, you're a Raiders fan. I mean, to effectively have their season come down to a close and end on that play with Derek Carr reaching the ball out for the goal line, um, that's pretty brutal to have everything come down that way. Yeah, you said it. I mean, I'm watching NFL all day, of course, and I'm feeling bad for Steeler fans. Like, wow, can't get worse than that. I, I You know, I really feel for Pittsburgh fans. And then comes to my favorite team's game and two horrendous calls go against the Raiders. You're right. The two worst rules in the NFL right now were both on full display yesterday. Yeah, and and, and I, I think it sucks anytime. I mean, one, I think it's a testament to how competitive NFL games are that it comes down to the tiny nuances in the game itself to ultimately decide everything, right? I mean, that it comes down to Derek Carr scrambling to try to score a winning touchdown and fumbling just right before that play and also that you have a situation where the Patriots and the Steelers game is so good and so competitive and so exhilarating for everybody watching it, and you know it's going to be a tight game, and then it comes down to literally the most controversial rule in the NFL rulebook to decide who wins that game. And like Jason Martin said last segment, I mean, basically decides who's going to have home field in the AFC, and I don't think there are that many people out there that believe that that's not going to be the difference maker. I think if the Steelers had the home field advantage in Pittsburgh for the rest of the season, that they would have won, right? I don't think there's anybody out there that would disagree that they would be a substantial favorite, especially if uh, if they end up healthy by the time the playoffs come back in, that they would have been favored to go to the Super Bowl. And I think the same thing is certainly true now if the Patriots can win the last two games on their schedule, which I think is likely that they would then be favored as well. Um, now, in terms of the overall playoff picture, to me, I, I, I just asked, I think Jason Martin has looked this up, um, in the AFC. I think the AFC playoff picture is going to come down to, when you look at the way this thing is kind of shaking out, right now, I think Kansas City is good. So I think the four division winners are likely to be the Patriots, the Steelers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I, it would take kind of a substantial outcome to change that. It would take Jacksonville losing out. It would take the Titans winning out. And that's really kind of almost it. The Kansas City Chiefs would also have to lose out in order not to win that division. And they close with the Dolphins at home, and then they go on the road against the Broncos. That would be pretty unbelievable for the Chiefs to lose both of those games. I know the Chiefs have lost a lot of games we didn't anticipate them losing, but that's kind of the situation. I think what's most likely... Okay, I think what's most likely is Jacksonville wins this weekend against the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. I know it won't be an easy win, but I think they get that win. That would win the division for Jacksonville. If Jacksonville wins the division next weekend, then they're playing against the Titans with absolutely nothing really to gain. I don't think they would play their starters. I think the Titans playing at home in that game, regardless of what happens against the Rams, I think the Titans would win that game. So I think the Titans are likely to split, go 9-7. and seven. 
I think Buffalo certainly at eight and six is likely to lose to the Patriots this weekend, which would drop them to eight and seven. And then I think they have a pretty good shot to beat the Dolphins, who will be playing for no real reason at the end of the season to get to nine and seven. And then I also think that right now the Chargers, who were kind of given up for dead after they got whipped on the road by the uh, by the Chiefs, I think the Chargers have a pretty good chance to get to nine and seven as well. They play on the road against the Jets, and then they finish with the Raiders at home in L.A. I think they have a pretty good chance they'll be favored in both those games by substantial margins, so they have a pretty good chance to get to 9-7. and seven. You know that's going to be a Raiders home game, though, right? Yeah, but do you think the Raiders are going to be playing really to win that game at that point? I think they're going to be playing pissed-off football right now after really? what happened last night. No, yeah. I, think, I, think that, uh, I think that the Raiders are done. I, I think that the Raiders will we'll give you that. So what's going to break down what's going to happen in that playoff situation? The Raiders are going to lose to the Eagles this weekend, so they'll be 6-9 and nine, uh, this coming weekend. They'll lose. And so uh, I think that's the likely outcome. What happens then in the playoff picture there will also break you down the playoff picture in the NFC. We'll hit both of those when we come back into hour two here. What's the playoff situation as we enter the final two weeks? We'll tell you next on Outkick the Covered. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Okay, let's talk about the playoff position. Those of you waking up across the entire country, appreciate you joining us on Outkick here. We've been talking, obviously, about the Steelers and the Patriots end-of-game situation the touchdown that should have been a touchdown but was not because of the NFL's insanely stupid rule when it comes to touchdowns. We have also been talking about everything else that happened in the world of the NFL, whether it was the collapse of the Seahawks. Pete Carroll has lost that team. Congrats to the Rams on winning that division. Uh, Whether it was Nick Foles looking good against the Giants, Aaron Rodgers looking average as the Packers were effectively eliminated from playoff contention, we talked about the Jags and their big win. Are they the one of the best teams in the AFC right now? Yes. Are they a contender alongside the Patriots and the Steelers? I don't think so. Jimmy Garoppolo looks really good. Titans choke away a win. Uh, did the 49ers steal Garoppolo for a second-round pick? And the Cowboys moved to 8-6 and six, thanks to uh, the note card on the, uh, on the first down marker, as well as Derek Carr fumbling out of the back of the end zone to end that game. So, on top of all of those situations, the big question, I think, as we enter the final two weeks of the AFC and the NFC is this. Who's going to actually be in the playoffs? Now, we haven't officially completed all of the 14th games of the season yet because we have the Atlanta Falcons going on the road against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think they are likely to win that game. But we'll get to the NFC playoff picture in a moment. First of all, the, the data basically reflects that the Patriots now are a huge favorite to have home field advantage given that they have the tiebreak over the Pittsburgh Steelers by virtue of another unbelievable end-of-game situation in the NFL. I think that the Patriots are likely to beat the Bills in uh, New England this weekend on Christmas Eve. They are a 12.5-point favorite. And then the Jets finish off the season at the Patriots. I think it would be a tremendous surprise given what we've seen so far this season, 
for the Patriots to lose to either the Bills or the Jets. So I think you can basically pencil in the Patriots as your overall number one seed. In uh, the second spot, I think, unfortunately, for Pittsburgh fans, it's hard for them to make up any ground. I think they will beat the Texans this weekend. Obviously, the Texans uh, not playing very well. They just got destroyed by the Jags. So I think the Steelers going on the road against the Texans this weekend will get the win. And then the poor Wobegon Browns come to Pittsburgh to finish the season. So I think the Steelers are going to finish in second place with a record of 13-3 and and lose the tiebreak to New England. Jacksonville. The Jags go on the road against the 49ers. If Jacksonville wins that game, they win the AFC South. They are around, I believe, a five-point favorite in that game. As good as Jimmy Garoppolo is playing right now, I think you have to make the Jags the favorite going on the road against the 49ers. Assuming they win that game, they effectively will not be playing for much of anything. You can say, oh, well, they're trying to hope that they're going to get the bye. Do you really think if Pittsburgh beats the Texans that there's any way in the world that the Steelers are going to lose at home to the 0-15 Browns in the final week of the season? I think it's likely that Jacksonville will end up resting a lot of its starters to get ready for the playoffs. Kansas City likely to finish 10-6, and win that division, and then you get the playoff picture. All right, what's the playoff picture? Right now, your five seed and your six seed would be the Titans and the Buffalo Bills. Baltimore also out there kind of floating around and the Chargers. To me, if you look at the four wild card contenders, the Ravens are very likely to win their last two games. They're going to be substantial favorites in both of those. They're nearly a two-touchdown favorite over the Colts this weekend coming up. So the Ravens would get to nine wins with that victory. And then the Bengals come to town. I think the Ravens are going to go 10-6 and six and lock up the fifth spot in the playoffs. That makes it relatively easy. And then I think there's a pretty good chance that the Titans, the Chargers, and the Bills all finish with 9-7 and seven records. So, Jason Martin, who in the tiebreak situation there, if we have three teams getting to 9-7, and seven, who wins this tiebreak scenario? All right, I'll make it as simple as humanly possible. There are different procedures like in terms of you look at this, and then you look at this, and then you look at this, and you go down kind of to see where this would play. And it actually is real simple. The Titans are 7-4 and four in the AFC in conference games. The Bills are 6-4. and four. The Ravens, let's say they were to somehow finish 9-7. and seven. They're 6-4, and four, and the Chargers are 4-6. and six. Conference record matters. The Titans would be the six, or they would be the other wild card team, because that would mean they would beat the Jaguars. They have to beat the Jaguars. That would make them eight and four in the AFC. Nobody else could do that. Therefore, they would win. If, if they were all nine and seven, that is. If the Bills were to win out, they would be eight and four as well. But they would also be ten and six, and that would be completely different. But that would, if you're looking at two nine and seven teams, it's Tennessee. All right. I mean, I think it's likely to come down to a 9-7 and seven team. And then, in theory, you would end up with a situation where Jacksonville and the Titans would be playing the final week of the season and then flipping around and playing for a third time back in Jacksonville to start for the wild card weekend. So that potentially could happen in the AFC. Okay, that's the AFC playoff picture. In the NFC, the NFC is really kind of intriguing. I'm assuming that Atlanta is going to win tonight. Uh, Atlanta is a pretty substantial favorite over the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so, let's see, they are around a touchdown favorite. So let's assume that Atlanta is going to win this game tonight. 
if that happens, that kind of complicates things because Atlanta would still be your overall number six seed sitting at nine and five. I think it's fair to say that there are five teams that are going to be in the playoffs. Let me start there. The Eagles are going to be in the playoffs. I think the Eagles are going to be your overall number one seed. I think they will beat the Raiders, and I think there's a good chance they'll beat the Cowboys to finish off the season, which would eliminate the Cowboys from playoff contention effectively. But that's a couple of weeks away. We know the Eagles are going to be in the playoffs. We know that Minnesota is going to be in the playoffs. And I should know this off the top of my head, but if both these teams finish 13-3, and did they play head-to-head? I can't even remember now. There's been so many games that were played. Did the Vikings and the Eagles play head-to-head earlier this season? They did, didn't they? Or am I totally making that up? Yeah, they did I at the start right. of the I'm season. It up. Yeah, We're going all the way back into September. and No, they did not. They have not played. So what's the tie-break no. situation there if they finish both finish 13-3? and three? Do we know who wins the tie-break in the event that the Eagles drop one of these games? In other words, what I'm asking is, if the Eagles win this coming weekend, have they effectively locked up the number one seed, even regardless of what happens in the last week of the season? That That's the question, because then the Eagles might take it easy on the Cowboys the final week of the uh, the season. I'm not sure what the answer is there um, in terms of who wins the tiebreak between the Eagles and the Vikings. You guys look that up. I'll continue to break it down. Right now, the Vikings are your number two seed, and the Vikings finish with on the road against the Packers, which, you know, frankly will be a tough game with, Bre- uh, with uh, Aaron Rodgers back, and then they finish with the Bears at home. So that could kind of resolve itself pretty easily if the Vikings lose one of those games. And then we've got the uh, we've got the division champs right now, the Rams at 10-4. and four. The Rams are on the road against the Titans as a six-point favorite in Nashville this coming weekend. The Saints, who are at 10-4 and four and will be hosting the Atlanta Falcons in a game to basically win the division uh, for the Saints at home. The Saints uh, did not play very well against the Jets, but the Saints are in pretty good shape to to win that uh to win that division and lock up the number 3 or 4 seed there overall the home playoff game in the wild card and then you've got the Carolina Panthers who finish with uh, a couple of games they finish against the Bucks which they should win and then they finish on the road against the Falcons um so again the playoff picture in the uh in the NFC is a lot more complicated then you have like I said the Atlanta Falcons who I think will win and get to 9 wins and then on the outside looking in, you have Detroit, uh, who is sitting there at 8-6 and six and finishes off with the Bengals and then the Packers. I think that Detroit has a pretty good chance to get to 10-6. and six. Um, That's certainly a reasonable forecast for them. I think that certainly when you look at Seattle, I think Seattle's done. I think that the, uh, the Seahawks are completely finished. They go on the road against the Cowboys this weekend. Coming up, I think they'll lose that game. I think that Pete Carroll has completely lost that team, and I think that the Seahawks are going to have to go back to the drawing board and basically redo their defense. And uh, then I think the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, that that question would come into play. Would the Philadelphia Eagles, the final week of the season, be playing in a a must-win scenario to get the number one overall seed, or would they have already locked it up if they can get past this coming weekend the Raiders uh, in a Christmas night game? which will be, I guess, on Monday night uh, coming up. Uh, any any idea who wins that tiebreak yet? Any, you guys been able to find out between the Eagles and the Vikings? I'm finding differing things on a couple of That's different not websites. Good. Yeah. No, it's really not. That's the problem. Like It looked like if the Vikings were to win out 
and then the Eagles went one and one, the Vikings would have a shot at the one seed. I think it might depend on a couple of factors there. But then I went to phillyvoice.com and it says the magic number for home field advantage for the Eagles is one. One more win, one more Vikings loss. The road to the Super Bowl goes through Philly. Yeah, that's what uh, we're looking at here in L.A. too. And Clay, that loss in week two that I was thinking back on for the Eagles, the Chiefs, remember that? Yeah, I knew that they had lost to somebody that we thought was good because I remember talking. I mean, it's hard to remember all 32 teams and the uh, the shakedown, but if if the Philly newspaper is saying their magic number is one, it's hard for me to believe they would get that wrong. So they must have the tie break, in which case the Cowboys could have hope of getting to 10-6. and six. And again, that NFC South picture, there's a possibility, if you want to get really complicated, there's a possibility that all three of those teams could finish 11-5. and five. And that possibility, all it requires to have happen is for the Falcons to win out. Because if the Falcons win out, they win obviously this uh, tonight against the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks to get to nine and five. Then they go on the road and they beat the uh, the Saints to get to ten and five. And then they would close out in Atlanta against the Panthers. And if they won that one, they would get to eleven and five, and you'd have a three-way eleven and five tie. All three teams would be in the playoff at 11-5, and five, and I think the Falcons would win that three-way tie and get to host a home playoff game as, uh, as your overall either three or four seed. So, man, there's so much complexity coming uh, down the stretch. By the way, I should mention that we will be doing a Christmas Day show uh, reacting to everything that happens on Christmas Eve, uh, basically six days from now. Um, on Sunday because there's going to be so many things that are resolved in terms of the playoff picture with the games that are taking place on Christmas Eve. And uh, we'll be doing that Christmas Day game. And then we'll also, the final week of the season is on a Sunday night. Sunday night is, I believe I'm correct on this, right, the 31st, which means that uh, that a lot of you are going to be trying to keep tabs on the NFL as you get ready for your New Year's Eve plans. A little bit awkward to have New Year's Eve on Sunday night. We'll also be doing a New Year's Day show uh, for everybody on New Year's Day. So uh, live, uh, you know, outkick shows. We'll be reacting to everything that happens because it's a uh, kind of an odd setup where you've got both uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve on big Sundays this year for the NFL. So we'll be talking and breaking down all of that. All right. We, uh, we have got still much to discuss. I'll open up the phone lines for the first time. Remember, on Mondays, we do not have any guests because we've got so many games that we want to break down. I'll allow you guys to react to anything that you want to react to from the weekend that was in the NFL, 877-996-6369. We will also dive back into all of the controversies, try to make the world a better place, and break down all that occurred in the NFL action as almost all the games for the 14th game of the season are effectively in the books. The only one left, the uh, game on Monday night, Falcons going on the road against the Bucks. We'll discuss all that and more up next here on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As well, car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Um, I'm going to put up a poll question on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis, and that poll question is going to be this. Notwithstanding the rule, was it a catch? Was it a catch? Notwithstanding the NFL's needlessly complicated rule, 
Was it a catch at the end of the Patriots-Steelers game? I'm curious just to see what the reaction is. Naked eye. Is it 95% yes? And I don't want Patriot fans coming in and just arguing against it because you're Patriot fans. Uh, And I certainly don't want Steeler fans arguing it's a catch just because you're Steeler fans. Primarily, I want people who are just football fans to have watched. And that's why my argument has been, can you imagine making this argument in your backyard at a Thanksgiving game? If you were playing Thanksgiving football in your backyard, and let's say that you're not down automatically when your knee touches the ground, can you imagine arguing that's not a catch with your kids and or your family in a backyard football game? I think that you would be laughed off the field. Everybody who was watching the game would say, no, 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 he caught it and he was stretching for the goal line. Uh, We can argue about whether or not he got there before he was touched down, but that's definitely a catch. And I think everybody would agree that there was no doubt at all that it was a catch. Even in the NFL's own explanation, they said, oh, he caught it. This is not a catch-non-catch situation. I actually think this is an easier call than the Des Bryant game because the Des Bryant game, while it seemed like it was more as if he were juggling that, here I think we had a more clear possession. There was no uncertainty about this catch at all. He was just trying to get into the end zone. By the way, clearing up some of the playoff uh, confusion mess, the Eagles are in as the number one overall seed if this weekend they win. So if the Eagles can beat, I believe it's the Raiders, right? If the Eagles can beat the Raiders this weekend, then they are in as the overall number one seed. All they have to do is go one and one in their final two in order to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So I think there's a good chance then that as a result, the, they may not play their full starters in the final contest against the Cowboys. Now, a little bit of a wrinkle here. If you are the Eagles, and this will be a tough decision, I think, do you maybe need to play and treat this as a legitimate game because you're going to have a bye week and because Nick Foles just hasn't gotten that many reps with the first-team offense? I think the Cowboys may be in for a little bit of a mess there because part of me thinks, yeah, we need to play Nick Foles and get him more in tune with the offense because he hasn't been a starter all year. He comes in, plays well, but you want to have him just start two games uh, as a full-time starter and then sit out two weeks and then come back in and play in a divisional round playoff game in Philadelphia against a really good opponent? That's actually a tough situation. What do you guys think? Like, let's presume... I know it's painful to you, Danny G, but let's presume that the Raiders are going to lose this weekend in Philadelphia. And as a result, the Eagles would have gotten the number one overall seed in the playoffs. If that actually occurs, does it make sense to rest Nick Foles or do you have to play him with the first team offense and basically go through, maybe you don't play him the whole game. Maybe you play him three quarters. Maybe you only first play half. him the first half. Yeah. But you have to play him, I think, with a uh, with an eye towards getting his rhythm better with the guys in a full speed kind of contest, uh, now obviously the the risk that you take there is what if Nick Foles gets hurt in a game that doesn't matter at all? Then the Eagles are suddenly on to their third quarterback for the playoffs, and that obviously gives a uh, basically kills their chances of being able to compete for a championship. But what's the decision there? How much do you play him? What would you do if you were the coach, Jason Martin? 
I, I think that's a really good question. The same thing I was thinking about yesterday. It's like you have to start to look to look past the regular season if you're in certain positions. Once the Rams had that game one, the way the Seahawks like to play defense and hit, I wanted to see Gurley and Goff out of that game. I feel the same way. It's like you can't lose Foles. Now the Eagles yesterday, had it not been for three blocked kicks from their special teams, may not have won. They blocked a field goal, an extra point, and a punt. So they had but that everything wasn't, kind of working in their favor. But so that, that wasn't helped. because but Foles played really well. Yes. Foles played really well. So, look, their defense didn't play great against Eli. They gave up over 400 yards passing, all that stuff. But to me, if I'm the Eagles' defense, I can worry about the defense getting fixed. I'm more concerned about Foles down the stretch and his rhythm and also his connection with his wide receivers. I think you play so, a half. I think he, I think half. he plays a half because you can't let him completely – he hasn't played enough games this season where you feel comfortable shutting him down if he builds a little bit of momentum. You just got to keep him out there, keep his arm moving, keep him looking at the football game because after he plays that game, he's still not going to play for a couple of weeks because of the first-round bye. I would want to see him in action, and if I were him, I'd want to be in action, but not in that second half, not at all. Yeah, I think that's probably the answer. I bet that's what the Eagles end up doing. Any disagreement in L.A.? Do you think that's the play? No, that's definitely the play. You don't want to shut him down all the way. But um, your concern about what if he gets hurt, well, at this point the Eagles are kind of playing with house money because Wentz really was their golden ticket. Yeah, but if you go to your third string and you get him hurt in a game after you've already locked up the overall number one seed, it would be coaching, you know, 2020. I mean, they would be absolute destruction in Philadelphia over that decision because Foles looked pretty good. I know they gave up points. I know they gave up a lot of yards. That was a defensive issue. Foles, I think if you're an Eagles fan, you had to be pretty pretty ecstatic, honestly, about how he looked and how comfortable he was in that game against the Giants. All right, let's take a couple of your calls. Uh, let's go to Robert in Indiana. What's up, Robert? Yeah, I was uh, calling uh, Jesse James. If you look at the goal line there, he fumbles the ball. But, like, you see the ball on the ground. When Des Bryant in the Packers game, the ball never touched the ground. And Des Bryant catches it twice. Look, again, I don't want to get into a debate about this. That was a catch. I think that the Jesse James catch was even clearer than the Des Bryant catch. I would call both of those catches, okay? I think if you put them side to side and you said which one looks more like a catch, I think you would say the Jesse James catch looks more like a catch even than the Des Bryant game does. But I think the standard that you apply here is if you were playing backyard football on Thanksgiving and you tried to argue that that was not a catch that Jesse James made, the exact same play happens and you're throwing to your eight-year-old nephew and then and you try to argue, no, it's not a catch. He didn't complete the catch all the way to the ground. Everybody would laugh you off the Thanksgiving family football game field. That's the way everybody would react. Matt in Virginia, is there any dispute there? Matt, what's up? Uh, I'm going to have to agree with the previous caller, man, that he did not survive through the contact on the ground. All right, stop. uh, Stop. You guys – hang up on Matt. You guys are such complete effing losers if you were calling in defending this rule in any way. You are a total loser if you were calling in defending this rule in any way. Now, you can say that as the rule is written, that should not be a catch. You cannot tell me – that if you are playing backyard football on Thanksgiving and the exact same situation happens in your Thanksgiving football game, that any person on that field says that's not a catch. You would be laughed off the field. If you were driving to school right now and you've got a kid in your back seat, 
a lot of you do, and you were driving them to school right now, ask your kid if he tried to make that argument in his recess football game, touch football game that he's going to play. My my first grader is going to be playing this earlier, uh, going to be playing this later today at school. Nobody in first grade argues that's not a catch. If first graders with my kids playing two-hand touch football know that that is a catch, then the rule is fundamentally flawed and you have to adjust it. That's it, period. And I've been making this argument for a couple of years. I don't know why the NFL needlessly complicates this situation. College football is not perfect. But in college football, we don't have this uncertainty about what is a catch, what is not a catch. If you have got Tony Romo watching HD replays, Tony Romo who threw to Des Bryant, watching HD replays in the studio with CBS, and he watches this 10 times before he realizes, wait a minute, what are they reviewing here? Before he realizes, oh, wait a minute, they might be checking to see whether he completed the catch. That's a pretty good sign that this is a stupid rule. My personal opinion, if you are arguing in any way in favor of this, you are an imbecile. Tommy in Florida. What's up, Tommy? Hey, man. Uh, great show. First of all, I just want to say, I'm a college football guy, so I was just watching this game with no stake in the game, no horse yeah. in the race. Yeah. So I'm just watching the game, and I'm trying to reason this out logically. And the question that I have is, if James catches the ball, and he puts his knee down, and he extends the ball over the, over the goal line, and a Patriot player would have hit him and jarred the ball loose. Let's say the ball actually clears the goal line in his hand, and he's got the ball secured. The Patriots player then hits him, and the ball you know starts rolling around the first, the, you know, first or second yard line or whatever, and a Pats guy lands on the ball and says, hey, I got it. The, 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 the review, the, the officials would have said that was not a fumble, the ball crossed the line, touchdown. That's well, exactly what they would have called. And I'm saying to myself, I don't understand why once he crosses the goal line, that's a touchdown. You know, it's an, inter- it's an interesting point. Th- thanks for the call. They would not have said that in this situation because they're applying the rule. But it does bring up another interesting point, which is if you're a Patriots fan, okay, and in this exact same situation, he is reaching for the goal line and your guy hits him, okay, your guy hits him as he's reaching for the goal line, that would be called an incomplete pass. I think everybody out there on the reverse side would have been saying, wait a minute, that's a clear catch and fumble. But under the rule that they're applying here, that would not have been a catch because he didn't complete the catch. So in this situation, it worked to the Patriots' favor as virtually every questionable call in the history of mankind ever has. And I understand Steelers fans who are like, hey, this is unbelievable that the Patriots get the breaks again. But in that situation, it would have been ruled theoretically an incomplete pass, and I would be sitting here saying, you know what, that was a catch and fumble. The Steelers should have lost that game over that catch and fumble. He caught it and he fumbled it. I don't think there's any doubt. Joe in San Francisco. What's up, Joe? Yeah, good morning. Hey, you know, know, Travis, I agree with you on that. That was common sense. That was a catch. But me being a frustrated Steelers fan, I need some therapy right now because it seems some kind of way down the line, I had, I had you know, I was trying to protect myself psychologically, 
psychologically from this. Yes. I knew the Steelers had every incentive and every reason to win. They were hot and everything. But somewhere down the line, I was going to knew they were going to cost that game up. And this is what I'm talking about. See, I was looking at the whole scope of the game. Um, Brady comes back with less than two minutes, scores a touchdown, whatever. They all have three points. Then I said to myself, all right, it looks like they've lost. In one play, bruh, they almost went like the whole way. They they got down to less than the 10-yard line. And then I said to myself, all right. And then when he catches that ball, like you said, common sense, that was a catch. But I, but when he – but when – but the way the rules are, are – the way the rules are made, those guys, that's all they have to do, bruh. They make their living off of knowing these receivers, knowing where to catch it. No point of that ball can touch the ground. He could have flipped himself on, the, on his back or something. Nobody was there to touch him. And when they ruled the, the pass incomplete, all he had to do was kick a dog on field goal to take it into overtime. They were they were um, they were at home. Yeah, and, I, I, and I don't I don't know, have a problem going for the win there. I mean, I think you can get into a debate about whether or not Roethlisberger went. I think you go for the win there because anything can happen in overtime, and the odds are. Thanks for the call and good luck and condolences here. Here's a question I haven't heard a lot of people asking. Why is the rule this way? I'm going to bring in uh, Eddie Garcia here in a minute to give us an update, but I want you guys just thinking about this. Why is the rule wit- written this way? You know, I again, if you have a rule, I am. I, I think the rule needs to be changed. First of all, that's my position. But what is this rule designed to protect? Usually, when you have a rule, it's designed for a situation in mind. Like if I say to my kids. No, you can't have uh, sweets right before bedtime. It's because I don't want them getting a sugar rush right before they get into bed, right? That's a family rule. Or, you know, instead of, uh, instead of apple juice, you get water late at night or milk because my theory is that makes them more likely to go to sleep, right? That's a family rule. And like most households, my wife makes virtually every rule that exists in my house, all right? But the rule does have some logic behind it. What is the logic that supports this rule? What is the NFL trying to take advantage of and make better by implementing this rule? I don't understand, to be quite honest with you, what the logic behind the rule is. And if the logic behind the rule doesn't make sense, why does the rule exist? I want somebody to come up with an argument for why this rule needs to exist at all. You know how like in the government, there's all these rules and lots of times they don't make any sense and we're trying to get rid of some of those rules that don't make any sense. What's the reason for this rule? Why is the rule on a catch not just the basic eye test of I know a catch when I see it and everybody knows this was a catch, right? Why is that not the standard for a rule? Why do we need a specific delineated written definition of a rule which requires these controversies to even exist. Would anybody out there who was watching Des Bryant or Calvin Johnson back in the day or certainly Jesse James yesterday have questioned this catch in any way? I don't think so. I want somebody to tell me the logic behind why this rule is actually necessary. I'm genuinely fascinated by it. All right, uh, let's bring in Eddie Garcia. 
All right, let's check Week 15 of the NFL, and we'll focus on the NFC playoff picture. Sunday night, it was the Cowboys beating the Raiders 20-17. Dallas is 8-6. They needed that win to keep their playoff hopes alive. In late action, Rams roll over the Seahawks in Seattle 42-7. L.A. is now in control of the NFC West at 10-4. They're the three-seed in the NFC playoffs. Seattle at 8-6 is out of the playoffs right now. Todd Gurley, four touchdowns for L.A., three rushing, one receiving. Early games, Panthers over the Packers 31-24. Carolina's 10-4, the fifth seed in the NFC playoffs. Cam Newton, four touchdown passes in the win. For Green Bay, they're 7-7. Quarterback Aaron Rodgers threw three TD passes, but he was also intercepted three times. Eagles down the Giants, 34-29. Philadelphia's the one seed in the NFC. They've clinched a first-round bye. Nick Foles in for the injured Carson Wentz had four touchdown passes. Vikings beat up on the Bengals, 34-7. Minnesota's 11-3. They're the two-seed in the NFC, and they have clinched the NFC North. And the Saints beat the Jets 31-19. New Orleans is 10-4. They're the four-seed in the NFC playoffs. This report's brought to you by True Car with True Car. You can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Hey, Clay, in case some people might have missed it, Carolina Panthers owner Jerry Richardson announced he plans to put the NFL team that he founded up for sale. This comes from as a result of the Sports Illustrated article that says the Panthers settled with at least four former employees regarding inappropriate workplace behavior by Richardson. Good deal. All right, I'm going to open up the phone lines here. I want somebody to call in and explain to me why this rule is necessary. Is there a single person in America right now who can explain to me why this rule about the NFL's catch-non-catch situation needs to exist? One person. Can anybody make a case for why this rule needs to exist? 877-996-6369. We are coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. I want one single person to make a compelling argument for why this rule is necessary. Can anyone do it? 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick, the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. I asked the question on Twitter. You can go vote if you would like. Just using your eyes, that is not applying any rule. Did Jesse James catch the ball for the Steelers? I am stunned by these results. 61% of you say yes. 39% of you say no. This is, to me, evidence of how many people are just sheep. Sheep don't think. They are always the people who say, well, a rule's a rule. A rule is a rule because somebody made it that way. And somebody can unmake it, too. And when you have a stupid rule... You shouldn't have any obligation to follow a stupid rule. I'm not a rules guy. I think I'm smarter than most people who make rules. And in this particular situation, I think the NFL has crafted a rule that makes no sense at all. And I have asked, can anybody defend the rule? Is this rule necessary? Just quickly, yes or no. Jason Martin. If all you had was the officials had to say, is it a catch or is it not? They would look at this and say, that's a catch. Okay. All right. Now I know what you're asking me. I'm sorry. Um, I agree with Bruce Arians, quite frankly. Uh, He says a catch rule should be based on common sense and an eye test when everybody watching can see that something is a catch in real time when when plays are at top speed and running that fast to then go to replay and go frame by frame 
to try and determine if something was done, to me, really is not the spirit of what should be done by an official or it shouldn't be part of the ruling scenario. I agree with him, so that way I agree with you. It was a catch. If those guys were just watching it, it would have been a catch. Every Patriots defender, like I said in the first hour, if you go back and watch the video, not a single defender is making any motion to say that that is incomplete. Everybody assumes it's a touchdown, including everyone broadcasting the game. It took them minutes to determine why we hadn't even moved on to the extra point by that point. It was a completely just indefensibly stupid situation by the NFL where they complicated something that should be simplified. Agree in L.A., right? This is something where you don't need a rule. Like uh, I, I always come back to the Supreme Court's obscenity test. I know it when I see it. I know a catch when I see it. That was a catch. Des Bryant was a catch. Calvin Johnson was a catch. Like, you watch it, and you can tell. Not even to mention the fact that breaking the plane here, in theory, should completely cancel out the part where the ball touches the ground. Like, he breaks the plane with possession of the football. That's a touchdown. It would have been a touchdown anywhere else by any other person, almost but for this scenario. If there is actually a defender close enough to him that he could not then reach for the goal line and he had just touched him, that's a catch, right? I mean, it's crazy to me. It wouldn't have been a touchdown. It would have been down at the one and a half or whatever it would have been where they would have marked the football, but that would have been a catch. The fact that he was so open is what allowed him to score the touchdown before he was touched down, which then allowed them to take away the touchdown. And it would be a different story, Clay, if he kind of like fumbled with the ball from, you know, from the jump, from the Correct. moment it hit his hands. No, if he never had clear right. control of it. He, he had such clear it. control yes. of it that he was then he caught it, and then he had the process to both think, hands. I need to get it in the touch. I need to get it in, and then he broke the plane clearly with both hands with the ball yes. off the ground. And then after he broke the plane, the ball went down to the ground. He made a strong snag out of the air. He did not hold it against his body. He didn't fumble the ball. His knee was down. His elbows down. Come on. That is a catch. You don't even have to have a good eye. You just have to have an average eye to know that that was a catch. That's why my football move, too. Clearly. Yeah. Like you're talking about not making a football move and you don't become a runner as a receiver until you complete the process of the catch. Well, when you snag it and you're that close to the end zone and time is a factor and you spin around just to try to get into the end zone, that should be the equivalent of you running, should it not? Shouldn't that make I mean, you a again, runner I, immediately? I just make the point that if you were playing backyard football, if your kids are playing backyard uh, elementary school football during break, two-hand touch recess – that's a catch, right? That's a catch everywhere. And if you argued against it, everybody, you would start a fight on the field, right? If you started to make that argument in your backyard Thanksgiving Day football, uh, buddies playing, you know, your family's playing, that that wasn't a catch, you would basically start a family civil war. No, he didn't complete the catch all the way to the ground. And my question has been, why do you even need this rule? We got loaded lines. I'm going to go take your call. To me... If you trust your officials who you are paying well to know what a catch is, why do you need the rule? Like, why does the NFL need the complete the catch rule? That doesn't in any way help. And again, I, I say, think about this. If you reverse this outcome, okay, let's say that Jesse James is reaching for the goal line but doesn't quite make it there. And as he's reaching, he gets hit by a Patriots defender and the ball squirts out. 
I would be saying, I think fairly, as many of you would, oh, that was a fumble. The Patriots got jobbed there, right? Think about that. In this scenario, if he's reaching for the goal line, he doesn't quite get there, and he gets hit, and the ball rolls out the back of the end zone. It's an awful rule, but I would be saying, you know what, Patriots get the ball at the 20 as you apply that rule. Now, I think that rule needs to be changed too, but let's say that happens. What they would be saying here is, no, it was never a catch, incomplete pass, let's go back, the Steelers get the ball back. That would be a crazy application here too, right? If if you think about it, not in terms of him getting a touchdown and the catch there, think about if there had been a Patriots defender close to him, and as he's stretching out for the goal line, if he had gotten hit, then that would have not been a fumble. That would have been an incomplete pass. I'm going to get a few of your calls in here, and then we'll also keep your calls going at the start of Hour 3. Ron in Florida. What's up, Ron? Hey, not much, Clay. Listen, I got a couple of thoughts on this rule. I don't think that they applied the rule correctly. I think that this whole issue stems from, in my opinion, of a lazy reading of the rule. I think NFL officials just say to themselves, have said to themselves, we want an easy rule. Whenever a ball gets bobbled when it hits the ground as a guy is going to the ground, no matter at what point in time the ball bobbles, you know, if the guy rolls over five times after he hits the ground, the ball squirts out, oh, that's an easy no catch. We don't have to think about it. I think I think that's what happened here, and I think it's why the Steelers got jobbed. I don't think it's necessarily a problem with the rule. No, I, I think, think it's, it's – I appreciate the, the call. I think it's a problem with the rule. I think if you just apply the naked eye test, is this a catch, it's a catch. And I don't. What I'm saying is, why do we need all of these paragraphs trying to define what a catch is when football fans know what a catch is? Again, I don't ever see this controversy apply in college football, and they don't have this complete the catch rule. College football. I don't remember the last time, other than Jabbar Gaffney against Tennessee back in the early 2000s. When was the last time there's been a catch non catch controversy in college football that's anywhere like Des Bryant? Calvin Johnson, or Jesse James. It doesn't happen. And that's because in college football, they apply the basic eye test. I don't know what the rule is in college football. It's different than the NFL. We never have these controversies emerge in college football. This is a catch in college football. Final hour of the show. Up next, continuing with your calls and more on Outkick the Coverage. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, final hour of the show, Monday edition. 15 minutes could save you 15% on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Encourage you to go download the podcast. Search out the term Outkick on iTunes. You can get Outkick the coverage of this show and also Outkick the show, my afternoon Periscope and Facebook, where I don't have any FCC restrictions. So much to get to uh, from a wild weekend in the NFL. We have a poll question up. First of all, you can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis. You can vote in this. My poll question, just using your eyes, that is not applying any rule at all. Did Jesse James catch the ball for the Steelers? A couple thousand of you have voted. I am blown away that 37% of you are saying he did not catch the football. I think that those 37% of you should not be allowed to vote for president. I think you are too dumb to be allowed to vote for president or any other important election because you here are being sheep. I don't believe there's a single person who, if they were playing backyard football, Thanksgiving two-hand touch family football, that there's a single person out there that would argue that was not a catch. That was a catch. 
The NFL rules are needlessly complicated. That's a catch in high school. That's a catch in college. That's a catch in Thanksgiving football. That's a catch in elementary school two-hand touch outside today in all 50 states. That is a catch. I don't understand why we have the rule that we do. Running through all of the stories, obviously we're spending a lot of time on the ending of the Patriots-Steelers game. I believe the Steelers were robbed by an unnecessary rule in the NFL. The Steelers should be your number one overall seed in the AFC. They should be having the road to the Super Bowl run through Pittsburgh. Instead, the Patriots get a break, get an unbelievable reversal, an insanely absurd rule change uh, that is unnecessary. We know what a catch is. Meanwhile, the Rams went on the road and gave the Seahawks one of the worst beatdowns of the Pete Carroll era and one of the worst beatdowns of the modern era for the Seahawks. The Seahawks team is broken. The Michael Bennett's of the world, the lying, race-baiting frauds, Michael Bennett is the leader of that defense. They have quit on Pete Carroll. The inmates are running the asylum. They, my friends, are done. Nick Foles looked very good on the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles in his first start in the wake of the Carson Wentz injury. Aaron Rodgers was average as the Packers were effectively eliminated from playoff contention with their loss to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, We'll talk more about this Jerry Richardson ridiculous uh, decision um, in the wake of an absurd story that I haven't even spent that much time on so far. Jerry Richardson selling the Panthers. That's almost a bigger story than the Panthers beating the Packers. Uh, Are the Jags one of the best teams in the NFL right now? Maybe. Are they a contender as well going on the road in either Pittsburgh or New England? I don't really think so, but they are playing very well. Big win over the Texans. Jimmy Garoppolo, he looks like an absolute steal for the San Francisco 49ers. Did they steal him for a second-round pick? He was fantastic against the Titans. The Titans' offensive coaching staff choked away that win as well with their play calling late. And the Cowboys moved to 8-6, and six, surviving against the Raiders thanks to both an index card and Derek Carr fumbling into the end zone to end the game. The Cowboys are 8-6. and six. The Raiders' season is effectively over. I asked, can anybody defend the NFL's catch rule? 877-996-6369. We have loaded lines from all over the country. Let's go to Albert in Bakersville, California. Albert, what's up? Yeah, I think that uh, it's because of the gravity of what's at stake is the reason the way the word the, the rule is worded and, and, and the reason for the, the ruling. Pro, pro football is for profit. It's a professional organization. It's not a backyard game. It's not a college game that's supposedly, you know, amateur. It's not high school. It's not elementary school. So your analogy is, is god-awful. No, this is an awful so, call from so, you, Albert. The point of the game is to decide what a catch is and what a catch is not. And the game is still the same in high school and in college and in the backyard. The most basic rules of football are applied evenly, even in situations where there are no officials. In other words, I'll give you an example. You can't, in an opening backyard playoff, in opening ba- in a backyard game, you can't, uh, you know, usually you don't kick off, right? Like, I'm just taking you back to elementary school. How do you start up? Everybody picks teams. Let's say there's six guys on each team. One team gets the ball and throws it usually. You don't kick because most people aren't very good at kicking. Most of the time you throw it to the other team, they catch it, and they start running it back the other way. The guy who catches the quote-unquote opening kickoff, 
can suddenly take the ball and throw it 20 yards down the field, right? Because everybody understands that that's not allowed under the rules, right? We don't need a complex set of rules to govern games. Just about every touch football game you've ever played in your life, you might argue over whether or not somebody was touched, right? That's always a dispute. Did you get him? Did you not? Did he feel it? Did he stop? But nobody out there really argues much over whether there's a catch or not. And if you had this exact same scenario happen in your two-hand touch football game, it's a catch. We don't need a complex rule to define it. And even if you want a complex rule to define it, he stretched the ball across the goal line, breaking the plane for a touchdown, making a football move. Like, it's a, it should be, it, to me, you work backwards. If you're trying to define rules, you look at what happened and you work backwards from there, right? You say, okay, what do we think on this? Well, it was a catch. Okay, let's define the rule such that it guarantees that situations like Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson, or Jesse James are catches. And by the way, this this rule is not eliminating controversy, it's creating it. Is there a single call we are getting today complaining if this is a touchdown? Is there a single person out there who's calling in saying this was a travesty of football justice? This was unacceptable. I don't think so. Not even the most diehard Patriots fan. That's a touchdown. That's a catch. I just don't see it as remotely complicated. Uh, let's go to Aaron in Tennessee. What's up, Aaron? Yeah, uh, Clay, I think there's two issues here. One, I think we uh, replay way too much stuff. That's the big difference between the NFL and college. They use replay way too many times, me, and it should be limited a great point. to how me, much they Let me pause you here, Aaron. Does Bill Belichick challenge this play if it is happening at midfield? No way he I, would have. If anything, maybe he would have, have, have challenged if it looked like the player kind of touched Jesse James when his knee was down when he made the catch. Right. I mean, I but think that's, that's an, I think that's an interesting challenged. point. You know, if you weren't trying to determine whether or not this was a touchdown, let's say he was just reaching uh, to try to get a first down, you know, right? And he gets it by over a yard because he was clearly in the end zone. Is there any way that Bill Belichick would pull out his red challenge flag and throw it on this play and say that's not a catch? I think the answer is no. 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 And, and you know, the other thing, too, is this whole football move crap. I remember a few years back is when that kind of seemed like it came into, you know, it was in everybody's mind. Did he make a football move? Did he make a football move? If I'm not mistaken, it was a play against the Steelers with Palomalu making a catch or an interception or something. But anyways, he made a football move. If you watch it in real time, he makes the catch and stretches for the goal line. He made the catch, and his football move was him stretching for the no, goal agree. line. At what point in time does the rule for a football move supersede the rule for the fum or not completing the catch? I mean, the rules all conflict with each other. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I think that's a really good point. He made such a good catch here that he wasn't even worried. He had already moved beyond, I've secured the football, to I'm going to go for a touchdown. And again, almost every other scenario, when the moment that he has control of the ball and breaks the plane, that's a touchdown, and what happens after that doesn't matter. At a minimum, if they want to go back, they need to take into account this play and change the rule to, if you control the ball on a catch... When you are at the goal line, 
you don't have to complete the catch all the way to the to the ground. He's on the ground already, first of all. You don't have to hold the ball. I mean, it, it conflicts in every way. How many times have you seen a runner score, break the plane, and do exactly what he did? Touch the ball on the ground after breaking the plane. Almost every time. Go look at every running back touchdown. Almost every single time they do the exact thing that Jesse James did here. Almost to, to a, I mean, it drives me insane. And I don't give a, a damn about who won the game between the Patriots and the Steelers. I have no dog in that fight. It didn't matter to me at all. I like Ben Roethlisberger and I like Tom Brady. I don't dislike Belichick. I like Mike Tomlin. Like there's nobody on the field for either one of these teams where I'm like, I can't stand this guy. I hope they lose. I wanted to see a great game and we did. And I just hate to see it marred by unnecessary controversy, which flies in the face of, I think, common sense. Jacob in Kansas, what's up? Hey, Clay. Uh, just wanted to preface this by saying I definitely thought it was a catch. The one thing that I can say about it is I wish they would just simplify it, make it consistent so that you know what is a catch and what isn't a catch. I agree. Every time. I, but I don't, even think we time. Need a, I don't even think we need a rule for that because I think football fans, that's why I keep going back to if you were playing in the backyard, this is a catch. Right, If everybody at every level of football would agree, and I think Jason Martin made a good point, the Patriots players are not reacting as if there was in any way not a catch here. I think an easy analogy here, Bill Belichick is maybe the most brilliant football mind in the, in the country right now, right? I don't think he challenges this as a non-catch if it's not a scoring play. In other words, all scoring plays are automatically reviewed for instant replay. If Bill Belichick, if this play happens at midfield and Jesse James does everything the exact same way, it's not a fumble, right? Like, nobody out there would argue that this is a fumble. He's down. He's stretching. He's, his knee is down. He's stretching out the ball. He's down, right? Like, and wherever he can stretch to is as far as it can go. I don't think Bill Belichick would even challenge this. Right? Because he doesn't fumble the ball. It's not like the ball comes squirting out. He just touches the ball down while he still has possession of it on the ground. So I don't even think Bill like Bill Belichick is a coaching genius. I don't think he would challenge whether this was a catch or not catch live if this had happened at midfield. That's because his guys who were watching it would be like, yeah, he caught it. Steve and Dayton, what's up? Yeah, hey, Clay, let me preface this by saying that I'm a diehard Steeler fan and I had to explain to my six-year-old daughter why that supposedly wasn't a catch i agree with you it's a stupid rule it was a catch football move was made um but going back to your initial question why do i think the nfl has this rule i think it's to protect the defenses and give them a fighting chance because right now every other rule favors the offense and so this is just one way for the nfl to say okay defense here we'll give you this yeah i don't think it's an interesting argument for why it exists i don't think it's for the defense i think the nfl is trying to codify what a catch is and I think they've not been comfortable saying, we know a catch when we see it. And my argument would be, you don't need a rule if virtually everybody watching agrees what a catch is. And that's where I think the NFL overthinks everything. Drives me insane. Dave and Boca Raton, what's up? 
First off, Clay, I want to wish you, your family, and the crew uh, happy holidays. I appreciate uh, that. Me and my son watch. Me and my son watch this uh, show every morning when I take him to school, and we absolutely love your show. So, uh, according to your question, and uh, it's not a catch based on uh, the definition of the law of the NFL. Uh, it's the rule. He did not maintain okay, complete but control. I understand. What I'm saying is, why does the rule exist? I'm not saying, like, apply the rule in this situation. I'm saying, why is that rule there? To, so when you score a touchdown, you have to con- have control and maintain control of the ball. Since he did not maintain control of the ball, it wasn't a touchdown. When right, but again, you're first, applying, but, but what, you're, what I'm saying is, you're applying the rule. If you were just watching this with the naked eye, if you were watching we this, were. me and my son were, me and my son were, and he said it was a touchdown, and I said no, the ball hit the ground, so therefore it's not a catch. It's right, but like you're applying, baseball. but you're applying the rule. You would say right. this was not a catch, even if that rule didn't exist. Correct. It oh, I think you're catch. crazy. I think he you're also, crazy. He, wait a second. He also said maintaining control. Well, the running back doesn't have to maintain control. Nobody but a wide receiver has to maintain control crossing the plane. That's the problem with the rule, is that wide receivers are held to a much higher standard than anybody else wearing a uniform on that field, including, apparently, the officials. I, I just, I, this is a touchdown, right? I mean, but even beyond it being a touchdown, it's a catch. And I, I, what I am saying is, I don't believe, I mean, he, he said he's watching it live and he says it's not. I don't believe you would make that argument if you were playing backyard football. And I think a standard for what a catch is, is do we believe it's a catch, <laughs> right? I mean, that's like, it, without even officials, every, I bet every single guy for sure, and a lot of women too, who are listening to this show this morning, have played backyard football, right? At some point in your lives. And there's never somebody wearing a striped shirt who is an official, and you sure as hell don't have instant replay review. And when you are playing against another group, what do you do? You call the game yourself. And you might have arguments. Remember back in the day, if you had an argument, you'd be like, and no, the two sides wouldn't agree. What did you do? You're like, redo, right? Which is actually kind of fantastic, right? If both sides are so convinced that they're right, eventually you're like, we're not going to stand around and argue all day. We don't have instant replay. We don't have professional officials. So eventually somebody would be like, all right, it's a redo. You know, it's like a, that's basically the way you would solve a 50-50 situation, a really tough call. Uh, in in a situation where somebody you can't reach an agreement, right? Both sides are evenly divided. How many times did you have a redo over whether or not the ball was caught? Almost never, right? You might have a redo on whether or not somebody got touched. You might have a redo on whether or not somebody was out of bounds. You might have a redo on whether or not somebody counted to three Mississippi or whatever Mississippi you're counting to before they can rush the quarterback. You might have a redo on a variety of different plays, but I've played backyard football my entire life. I don't ever remember having a redo over whether or not somebody caught the football because, by and large, that is the very essence of the game of football. Did somebody catch the ball or not? Everybody knows it when they see it, and that's why I come back to the old, I think it was Justice Potter Stewart, who in a uh, Supreme Court opinion said he didn't know what the definition of obscenity was, but he knew it when he saw it. I know a catch when I see it. You know a catch when you see it. Officials know a catch when they see it. 
players on both sides know a catch when they see it. This is not a complex decision where you're like, oh man, did he get his hands underneath it before it hit the ball? That, to me, should be the complex decision on whether or not there's a catch or not. Here, we have a clear catch, and I believe we have a clear touchdown. I don't think there's any doubt at all about it. David in Houston, what's up? David in Houston, did we lose him? Uh, Let's go to break. I'm taking other calls. All right, 877-996-6369. Jason Martin continuing to take your calls. We'll play you a couple of clips uh, from this uh, this game, this situation between the uh, the Patriots and the Steelers. We'll continue to react to the controversy that is the way that the AFC uh, title, frankly, may have been decided whether it was going to run through Pittsburgh or New England. I think this call decided who will be in the Super Bowl from the AFC. I really do. You've heard me talk about the amazing shave I get from my Dollar Shave Club razor, especially when I use it with their Dr. Carver Shave Butter. Well, I'm here to tell you I'm never giving up my membership. In fact, I'm adding even more DSC products to my daily routine. Dollar Shave Club makes products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything you need. They have me looking and feeling amazing, and it's all their own original stuff. They only use the finest premium ingredients, and they deliver it to you just like they do their razors. That means no more annoying trips to the store, cruising up and down aisles, looking at shelf upon shelf of what the hell is that? What do I do with it? I use Dollar Shave Club for just about everything. They've got me covered head to toe, and with gift memberships and e-gift cards available, DSC can help cover the names on your holiday shopping list too. I want you to love Dollar Shave Club as much as I do, so I've arranged for you to try your first month of their best razor along with travel-sized versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and yes... Even butt wipes for just five bucks. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. It's the DSC starter set. Get yours for just five dollars exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. Listen closely. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. I love the standard of what's a Christmas song. Uh, great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, Poll question. Just using your eyes. That is not applying any existing rule to define what a catch is. Did Jesse James catch the ball for the Steelers? Nearly 4,000 of you have voted so far this morning. 67% of you are saying, yes, that was a catch. I'm surprised, frankly, that it's not even higher because I think the 33% of you who are saying no are actually applying the rule. I'm not saying apply the rule, okay? Under the rule, I think there's an argument that certainly it was not a catch. I think the rule is completely unnecessary because I think, by and large, just about everybody out there who's ever played football, touch or tackle, knows what a catch is. It's the most basic of decisions that have to be made. I'm taking your calls. We're loaded uh, all over the country, people waking up, reacting to this uh, situation. Let's go to Joel in Virginia. What's up, Joel? Hey, Clay. What's up, man? Living the dream. Yeah, to me, once a receiver has possession of the ball, 
he becomes a runner. And, a, and for a running back or whoever, a, the ground cannot cause a fumble. So, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the call at all. Amen. Amen. I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think he made the catch, and he was so in control of the ball that he tried to then take the next step, which is a football move for sure, of scoring a touchdown. And I think the minute that he had possession of the ball in the air as he broke the plane, that's a touchdown. So, I, again, that's my standard. I think everybody watching it live had that same standard. And uh, I think it's a touchdown. Let's go to, let's see, who's up next? Let's go to Tony, uh, sorry, Trevor in Phoenix. What's up, Trevor? Morning. Yes. So here's the thing, man. I hear you talking about, like, how this is the naked eye and everything. But you know what? It's 2017. Get over it, okay? Just get over it. It's 2017. Every play is reviewed. There's cameras everywhere, even places that, that it shouldn't be. So guess what? Even you're saying about Bill Belichick wouldn't like, uh, wouldn't wouldn't need to like uh, challenge the play. Guess what? It was the scoring play. No, it I'm saying that if no, way. take a step back, Trevor. First of all, it's 2017 is not a good argument. All right, it's 2017 is a bad argument because you could always say whatever year it is. It's it's 1846. We don't need to end slavery. It's 1846. Slavery would have ended in 1746 if we had needed to. That's a bad argument, all right? You can't just say the year as if somehow that's an argument that works in your favor, okay? Here's the deal. What I am saying is I don't believe Bill Belichick would have challenged this play if this had been taking place at mid uh, at midfield. Because, and Bill Belichick maybe is the greatest football mind in the world certainly the greatest football mind currently coaching right now. And that's because he would have said, oh, that's a catch. And by the way, there's not even close to a fumble here because he never lost possession of the ball. I think this would be a more difficult call if when he went into the end zone, if he had broken the plane trying to complete the catch and then the ball had slipped out of his fingers and run out the back of the end zone. That would be a more difficult call because then he doesn't have control of the ball throughout the catch. To me, when he breaks the plane and then brings it down and touches the ball to the ground, he still has control of it. He's just taking the ball to the ground like everybody does when they break the plane of the end zone, right? If it had been an actual fumble and if the ball had gone out of the back of the end zone, then I think that would be a more challenging play. But guess what? The way that the rule is applied, that would have been an incomplete pass. That's what my argument is on the on the fumble front. Is if now, why this are you talking about ben, ben throwing an interception into two guys, like you keep talking about the same thing, and you only focus on one thing. Ben threw an interception into two people when he could have just like you know run a, like I don't know a run, maybe throw a, another pass. Well, the to clock would have like run out. Brian they were like, trying to win the game, which they had already won. That play should have never happened. That's the reason I'm not spending much time talking about it because the Steelers had already scored a touchdown. That play should have never happened. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger threw an interception. You know what? If he doesn't throw an interception there, if that ball hits the ground, Steelers kick the field goal, put it into overtime and win, then we probably don't spend as much time talking about this play. But literally, this play may decide who wins the Super Bowl this year. Certainly, I think, has a very strong chance to determine who plays in the Super Bowl, either the Steelers or the Patriots. That play. That's why we're talking about it. Tony in Irvine. What's up, Tony? Hi. Um, so, 
I think it was a catch, and let me tell you why I think the rule exists. Not needs to exist, but exists. And you just said it because this game decided who had home field advantage. And I believe the fix is in. If the NFL wants to control who, uh, if it comes down to a, a last-minute touchdown, they want to control who's going to have home field advantage or not based on making money. That's that's what I believe. Thank yeah, so I understand call. a lot of people jump in and say it's a conspiracy, it's favoring the Patriots, they'll point to the call against the Jets, which was garbage. They'll obviously go back to the tuck rule. I don't believe that that's true. I don't think that the the NFL is trying to pick sides here. I think that if the Patriots had been scoring, uh, Tom Brady had thrown to Rob Gronkowski and the exact same situation had happened, I do think the NFL would have applied the rule the same. In other words, I don't think the NFL is adjusting the outcome of its rule. My argument is the rule is unnecessary. We know what a catch is. Tom in Nashville. What's up, Tom? Hey, Clay. Hey, Clay. Uh, first off, I'd like to say I would love to see a long conversation between you and Ben Shapiro, the two most logical people in podcasts. But my point today is if this had been uh, to make the first down, and let's say your the offense uh, was called short of the first down, even in replay on a challenge, the call would be overturned to say, okay, yeah, we got this wrong. This, in fact, was a first down. So... Uh, I think, uh, you know, Bill Belichick could challenge and say, yes, this made the first down. The ball uh, passed the line to be made for scrimmage and was still in control. Yeah, look, I think that should be the call. I appreciate the call. I think if he had challenged that he would have won based on this standard. What I am saying is in full-time, fast-paced football, I don't think Bill Belichick even would have thought to challenge this play if it had not happened and been automatically reviewed as a scoring play. You guys understand what I'm saying there? Like, Bill Belichick is a coaching genius. I don't think, because he would have been watching it and all his guys would have been watching it, I don't think in real time when you've got like 15 seconds to make a decision on whether or not to throw the red challenge flag, I don't think he would have been able to make that decision in real time. Let me bring in Eddie Garcia, get the update, and then I'm going to go back to your calls. Eddie, what's shaking? Well, Clay, let's check week 15 of the NFL. We'll focus on the AFC playoff picture. And Sunday night, it was the Cowboys over the Raiders, 20-17. Oakland quarterback Derek Carr fumbled out of the end zone, diving for a touchdown with 31 seconds left. Oakland at 6-8, and eight, not officially eliminated, but that loss certainly hurts their playoff chances. Of course, the game of the day that everyone's talking about, you're talking about Patriots over the Steelers, 27-24. Ben Roethlisberger with an interception on third and goal at the 7 with four seconds to play. New England with the win is 11-3. Steelers with the loss also 11-3, but New New England has the head-to-head win, so they're the one seed. Pittsburgh right now is the two seed. Patriots also claim the AFC East title for a ninth straight season. Titans lose to the 49ers on a last-second field goal, 25-23. Tennessee's 8-6 and are the fifth seed in the AFC playoffs. In early action, it was the Jaguars topping the Texans 45-7. Jacksonville's 10-4. They clinch a playoff spot. They're right now the three seed in the NFC playoffs, and Blake Bortles had three touchdown passes. It was the Bills over the Dolphins, 24-16. Buffalo is 8-6 right now, holding on to the final playoff spot in the AFC. Buffalo's defense forced Jay Cutler into three interceptions. And Clay, finally, an update on Steelers All-Pro wide receiver Antonio Brown missed the second half of that game against the Patriots with a partially torn calf muscle. They are saying likely going to miss the rest of the regular season, but they think he should be ready to go for the start of the playoffs. Good deal, as always. Let's go to Mike in L.A. Mike, what's up? Hey, Clay, it was absolutely a catch, no doubt about it. I think Jason Martin made a great point, uh, as I told him earlier, with everything he said. 
The one thing I disagree with is your point with the backyard football. I didn't know backyard football became the standard on referencing anything that has to do with NFL. Um, that's pretty no, much the all standard. I yeah, the standard I'm applying here is everybody knows what a catch is. When I say in backyard football, you know whether or not a catch is made, that's the same as saying that we don't need a rule to determine what a catch is. When you're playing backyard football with your buddies and your family on Thanksgiving, you don't, before the game starts, write out a detailed explanation of what a, what a catch is because you guys already know. We know what a catch is. We ref games ourselves over whether or not catches happen all the time. I've played backyard football and elementary school football, touch football my entire life. I never remember a game boiling down to whether a guy caught the ball in a situation like this. Now, could there be a dispute when the ball's close to the ground? Did it skip or did the guy catch it? Like all of those things, yes. But here we know the guy caught it. There's never been a complete the catch argument in backyard football because you either caught it or you didn't. Andrew in Atlanta. What's up, Andrew? The play. Um, I, I kind of have two points. First off, it amuses me as an attorney that all of your callers call in and they can't delineate the difference between whether the rule was applied and whether and the reason for the rule. Yes. I have yet to hear anyone call in besides the conspiracy theorists call in and explain why this rule even exists. Total, total vacuum. Which is one of my big questions. For people out there who are just now like listening and you're waking up and you're starting your day, I'm saying, why does this rule even need to exist? And attorneys and, a lot of times no, do think that way. Like, why does... Okay, look, before we get into the application of the rule, let's ask the question, is the rule necessary? And my argument is no. And that's why I'm using the backyard football as an example, because by and large, we know what a catch is. Now, some rules are necessary, right? Like, uh, if your knee is down and you fumble then the fumble doesn't count. Okay, that's an important rule. We basically have decided once you're down, the fumble doesn't count. Now, you could make the argument, why does that rule even need to apply, right? We basically have decided, you know what? When a guy's down, we don't want somebody trying to rip the ball away from him. That's the rule. That rule makes sense because of the way it's applied, right? My argument is we we need that rule to understand where the scope and limit of a fumble is. I don't know that we need a rule to determine whether or not a catch exists. Did we lose Andrew there? Yeah, he dropped for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. Okay, we lost Andrew. I'll go back to your calls to finish the show. By the way, Andrew can call back in. I think he had a second part that he wanted to make there. It's a good one. Second point, I still haven't heard anybody explain why we actually need this rule. And I don't think the NFL has ever done a good job, to my knowledge, of explaining why we need this rule. And the rule is a bad one, and it's completely unnecessary. And the reason why I'm saying it's unnecessary is if you just apply – basic fundamental understanding of football rules, everybody can decide whether or not a catch was made. Jesse James caught this football. And I think he also then extended the ball across the plane of the goal line, which at the point that the ball crosses the goal line should render the rest of the play to not matter. But if it does matter, he then brought the ball down to the ground like everybody does when they score a touchdown. Like, to me... Whether if he had cradled the ball like a baby when he scored and his fingers had been underneath the football, that would have been a touchdown, right? I think everybody would have to agree. If his fingers were underneath the football when he scored as opposed to holding it on the sides, that would have been a touchdown. If 
the ball is going to move when you hit the ground, even if you're holding it directly underneath, right? The idea that the ball moved when it hit the ground, I defy any of you out there to run full speed and jump holding a football extended, even if you have complete control of that football and not have it move when you hit the ground. Physics is going to dictate that the ball moves when somebody is holding it extended and jumps and lands on the ground. The ball is going to move every single time. It's impossible not to. The strongest human being on earth could not stop that ball from moving. The idea that's not a catch, one of the most absurd things I've ever seen in a major game that truly matters. I'm Clay Travis. A few more of your calls will close. Also, funny thing that happened in the Panthers game. If you haven't heard what Cam Newton said to Clay Matthews, you're going to love this. We'll play it for you next. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Um, this is uh, this is pretty fantastic. Um, the NFL VP of officiating decided that he needed to put out a explanation on the <laughs> on the play. And I want you to listen to this. He says the ball is caught right at the beginning of his explanation, which circles back around to my entire point. This rule doesn't need to exist. The dumber you are in general in life, the dumber you are, the more time you spend defending rules. And what I mean by that is this. Intelligent people see a rule and ask, not how should it be applied, but why does it exist? Is this rule necessary? Dumb people just fall back on, well, the rule's there. If you have ever in your life argued, well, a rule's a rule, then you are dumb. Because that's what dumb people say. Because rather than unpack whether the rule was there or the intent behind the rule or anything associated with that, they just fall back on the mindless drivel of, A rule's a rule. There is a rule here. It's a dumb rule, and it's unnecessary. That was a catch and a touchdown. And the NFL VP, even when he explains this, begins his explanation by pointing out what? Oh, yeah, that it was a catch. Listen to this. Hello, everyone. This is Al Riveron, and just wanted to review a play that happened in a very exciting New England and Pittsburgh game today. As we can see here, Roethlisberger completes a pass to James, and James is going to the ground as he reaches the goal line. And that's the key here. He is going to the ground. By rule, to complete the process of the catch, he must survive the ground. And by that, we mean he must maintain control of the football. As we see here, he does put the ball over the goal line extended. Once he gets there, he loses control of the football, and then the ball hits the ground. We can see here the ball touches the ground. So, therefore, two things occur. He loses control of the football, and the ball touches the ground prior to him regaining control. Therefore, the ruling on the field of a touchdown was changed to an incomplete pass. That's a stupid explanation because, again, it begins with him saying and acknowledging that the ball was caught. And, again, I would just ask you this. Find me a person who can dive with a football fully extended and hit the ground and not have the ball move. Find me a single person on earth who can do that, and I will tell you that person is a superhuman. That is almost impossible to do. You hold an NFL football in human hands – and you run full speed and you dive, and you find me a person who can have their hands land on the ground and not have the ball move. I don't think it's possible to do that. 
I think it's physically impossible to score a touchdown in this scenario. If that is impossible, then it probably means the rule doesn't fit or comport with the overall way the game is played. All right, we've been talking about this a ton, uh, but I want to get this video, this audio clip in because it's pretty funny, and then I'll close bringing in the crew. Um, here is Cam Newton playing against the Green Bay Packers. He's talking with Clay Matthews. You can hear this audio. I'll run through exactly what's said if you can't hear it well enough. I'm not sure exactly what this will sound like on the radio. This is Cam, News- Cam Newton. This is audio that was picked up from on the field. He's talking back and forth with Clay Matthews in a goal line situation. Listen. It's not real round. It's not real All right, so if you couldn't hear that, Clay Matthews is calling out, uh, it's a wheel route, it's a wheel route to Christian McCaffrey. And Cam Newton then says, we'll play it one more time because you may be able to hear it better now. Cam Newton in the game says, and this is phenomenal, Cam Newton says, you've been watching film, that's cool, we'll watch this. And then he hits Christian McCaffrey on a slant for a touchdown, uh, which is different than uh, than what Clay Matthews was expecting. Again, this is pretty phenomenal. This is real time. This is yesterday's game between the Panthers and the Packers. Goal line situation. Cam Newton under center. The first voice you hear is Clay Matthews. The second is you hear Cam Newton responding, and then he hits a touchdown pass. Listen. You've been watching film, huh? That's cool. Watch this. Bang. Touchdown. That was phenomenal. How cool was that? Uh, It's a good way to finish off the show. Um, So much to discuss. We could probably do another three hours on today's show. Um, Any other big takeaways that we have missed? Quickly, Jason Martin or crew in L.A.? Only thing I'll say is Blake Bortles yesterday looked great. He threw touchdowns to one guy that slept in his car earlier this season, threw two (laughs) scores to somebody that was on the practice squad earlier this week. What he's done, he had no weapons and no Leonard Fournette yesterday. That defense is legit, but I am ready to give Blake Bortles a little bit of credit for playing very well over the last month in particular. I'm impressed with the way he's looked. Yeah, I think the 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 undoubtedly the Jags need to give him sixty million dollars a year. He's the greatest quarterback in the history that. of mankind. Sixty million. But if Mario had less, done that, you'd have lost your mind. Any, anything less than sixty million dollars a year, and Blake Bortles is underpaid. Guy might win the next ten Super Bowls in a row. That's how impressed I am with Blake Bortles. Uh, I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the coverage. I know what a catch is, and I'm going to tell you right now: the Pittsburgh Steelers should be the overall number one seed in the playoffs because they caught the ball. Des caught it. Jesse James caught it. And so did Calvin Johnson. The NFL rule on catches is insanely dumb. Patriots stole one. Steelers should have won. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's Freddie Prince Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.